you're in with the ghost of radio. Welcome back to this, our shared podcast, all about and because of mid-century horror radio, genre of all genre. Here we are, ready to sit around the cauldron, pull out an episode from its endless depths, listen to it in our own ways and times, then come back here, hit some clips, discuss, make sense, and joy. Once in a while, we'd like to remind ourselves and others who might be new around the cauldron why we don't listen together. And the simple reason is we ain't got time. Nobody has time to spare when we finally gather around the cauldron each week to listen to the episode. You can listen to them anywhere online at any time. We save our precious time together for the discussion that is so sadly missing You can listen to the episodes anywhere, finding, conversation, analysis, sense-making for these episodes, all too sadly rare. We are the only game in town. So, we love the game. Let's play. All right, this time we are going to hear the episode, World Enough and Time, from... Theater 5. Ooh, it's our old frenemy, Theater 5. More enemy than fre. But we're going to go to the internet. We're going to go to relicradio.com or archive.org. They each have everything somehow. Or we go to a non-tracking search engine and type in Theater 5 Radio, single episodes, or Theater 5 Radio, World Enough and Time. Somehow we get there, we listen, we come back here, primed and ready to do our thing. Off you go. See you soon. All right, we're back. Oh, we came back from World Enough and Time. Don't know about Mr. Dean. Oh, what did you make of it? This is... A really good episode with a hole in its ending that blows our minds, but even the inexplicable, completely ruinous hole at the end cannot fully ruin this episode. It cannot. This is a very interesting idea, and it's well-structured. It's It's genius structure. Cannot wait to get into it. This is the most gently we have been treated by Theater 5 ever. So let's appreciate it. Okay, let's start with the anything but gentle intro to Theater 5. You know what we call it, the Hornsplosion. I suppose all of us have heard or even used the expression, I'd give a year of my life if I could have such and such a thing or if such and such a thing would happen. But what if you suddenly felt the years of your life being taken away from you? It happened to one man, me. The man you'll hear about in the story, World Enough and Time, on Theater 5. Okay, no bongo, that's just for the outro. We are going to meet Mr. Dean and never was seen setting 
more important. Because as you know from listening, everything important that happens in this first scene is going to be revisited and flipped, revisited and reversed in the hospital. So this is a story in two parts, the bar and the hospital. In the bar, Mr. Dean is like the pinnacle of a 60s guy, businessman, flies on jet planes, does big international business, has a couple of drinks, knows all the guys who work at the bar. I like to know the men who work at the bar. A prince, someone on top of the world, on top of his game. Things are going so well for him that he can afford to be magnanimous. Ah, nothing upsets him, and he's a friend to everybody. He's a humble guy because everything in his clockwork is working. Mr. Dean at the bar is who everybody wants to be, and it's it's who he feels he really is. He actually really is that version of himself for as long as he can keep this plate spinning. When he can't, he is no longer that person. Let's meet him at the bar, because that's important. Now, first, we meet the men, the two bartenders, just like the doctor and the orderly are going to be the two people at the hospital. Here are the two bartenders, the one who knows Mr. Dean well, describing him to the new guy. And they're deference and appreciation, at least the older guys, the younger guys will come after he has his good conversation. Again, they're going to be flipped and reversed by the way the orderly and the doctor treat him in the hospital. So let's get our external narrator telling us about the wonders of Mr. Dean so that when we meet him and we think, well, he's not going to be that great, we're going to be very surprised to find out that he is. Whiskey sour on the rocks, sir. Anything else? Well, hello, Mr. Dean. Well, hello, George. You're looking well. I haven't seen you for a while. Stopping at some other airports lately? No, just very busy. Out of the country a lot. Hey, uh, Sid, uh, who's the sharp-looking guy who just walked in? Him? That's Matt Dean. That's a swinger for you. Rich, funny and dull, but regular. You know how some of these guys with a few bucks are? Well, not Dean, the real prince. Well, I've never seen him in a place before. He seems to know everybody here. What's he do? I don't know exactly. Manufactures airplanes or something. I think he's in a lot of businesses, you know, different things. Oh, he sure is a snappy dresser. I've known him for maybe 20, 25 years. Huh? Yeah, true. As long as I'm tending bar here, I know. He's always dressed to kill, too. Come on, are you kidding me? That guy ain't old enough for you to know him all them years. He's only about... What, 30 years old? Uh, that's what you think. He looks the same for all the time I know him. Never changes. Never gets old. You know, he, he uh, well, he must be pushing 60 or better. Well, are you kidding me? Now, look, why should I kid you? He's about 60, I'm telling you. I'm 62, and 
When I started here about 25 years ago, Dean and I were about the same age. You'd never think it now, just looking at the both of us. I mean, I mean, I, I look broken down like what I am, but Dean, he, he flies around, makes money, stays young, I guess. Some guys just got it and some guys ain't. Yeah, it seems that easy and that swinging and that natural. Now, you think at this point in the episode that Mr. Dean is not going to just openly tell anyone who asks him, any stranger, his entire secret and his mechanism. (laughs) You think, oh, it must be something supernatural. Nope. Well, kind of, yes. Uh, He explains it in a technical way, but it is supernatural. He's happy to share it. You have to ask yourself why Every guy he's ever told this to hasn't tried it himself. (laughs) But no one has had the means, the charisma, the power to live it, to actually do it like he does. And again, his sense of being favored by the universe is, first of all, justified. Somehow he is. And second, it just grants him the power to be good and friendly and humble. He has nothing to prove. He has beaten time. And what else can you ask for? At that point, you're just giving back. (laughs) Your whole life is about giving back. So here's this conversation where, surprisingly, he explains exactly how he does what he does. One might think at this point in the episode, huh, well, it's not really a lot more to to hang around for, is there? You mean I... You got a secret, staying young? Now, it's no secret, really, Jack. It's very simple. Well, how's that, Mr. Dean? Well, you see, Jack, the Earth is revolving counterclockwise at about a thousand miles an hour. Yeah, yeah, a thousand miles an hour right now? Uh Uh-huh. That may seem hard to believe, but it's true, all right. The Earth we're sitting on right now is traveling about a thousand miles an hour. Isn't that something? Well, anyway, look, as you travel west, if you go fast enough, say, uh, a thousand miles an hour... You stay right with the sun. Holy mackerel. Kind of like science fiction, huh? (laughs) Yeah, kind of like science fiction. (laughs) There was one further step, Jack. Well, what's that? Well, I figured perhaps I could beat the sun by traveling faster than it does. What? You see what I mean? Faster than the sun. I bought an experimental jet which could fly at about 1,200 miles an hour. Now, of course, my plane, an FY-630, can do about 2,100. Wow, that's really moving. Yep. And one morning, I took off at dawn from this very airstrip. When I got to California, I knew that I had time beaten forever. I was a half hour ahead of the dawn. It was two and a half hours after I started, but here it was earlier than when I started. I had lived through and yet saved two and a half hours of my life. Yeah, but uh, how do you work it out when you get uh, fogged in or when a plane breaks down or something? Yeah, I've got it down to a science. I have planes at seven different airfields. I can fly to an airport, take off in another plane. You see, my planes are always in top condition. I have pilots working around the clock stationed at different airports. Man, you sure have thought of everything. And it actually works. I mean, uh, I mean, here you are, right? (laughs) Right. I've been doing it right along for about 30 years. 
I don't even bother to count anymore. I have beaten time. Oh, I sleep and eat on the plane, land in some city, spend maybe an hour or so for business or fun, and then I'm off again. Always going west. But uh, the most you can stay in any one place is about an hour, huh? Well, actually up to two hours. Then when we take off, we just fly straight through for several hours, and we're all caught up again. Boy, if I didn't see you here before me, I'd say it was incredible, Mr. Dean. <laughs> I know, it does sound incredible. Matter of fact, not too many people believe it, but here I am. All right. We don't think about it until the next scene where he has the car crash. How incredibly tenuous and vulnerable this whole setup is. You can only spend two hours at most in any one place before you have to fly out of it and fly for a couple of hours, like a long time. Forget even having a car accident. What if the pilot has a heart attack and can't fly? What if there is a hurricane and you can't fly? What if the engine on the plane isn't working? And it's cr- I mean, he says, oh, I have all these planes. But there are so many things that could go wrong here. So very many that the feeling of it being a house of cards may be creeping up on you a little, probably not. But when you listen a second time, it will be. The second time you listen, all you can see are the holes in this setup. All right. So he goes out, jaunty wave of the cap on top of the world, and enters the abyss. We're going to go, as the story does, directly from the car accident to being at the hospital, where he is no longer treated like a king, a titan of industry, a prince, a superman, a great guy. He's actually treated the way women are treated. You're being hysterical. You need to settle down and calm down and stop shouting. It's immediate. Immediately, he has entered a parallel universe where he is nobody and where he is old. You can hear it as him being treated like a woman, and that's true. He's also, even while he still looks young, treated like an old person often is. Not listened to, pushed aside, yeah, yeah, whatever. Immediately in that parallel hell universe. Now I have to get back to the airport. Good day, gentlemen. Good day. Let's make a beeline to the airport. Yes, sir. Hey, watch out! Hey, did you see that crazy guy in a car ride yeah. right into the rear of that limousine? Hey, I missed it. You all right? You all right? Hey, it looks pretty bad. Look at the cat. Come on. Come on. He's all cut. Help me up. Oh, please. Louis, help me up. Hey, wait a minute, you want to stay a little doctor's here. Hey, look at the chest. Look, I, I haven't the time. Louis, Louis, help me up. You got to get back to the airport. Quickly, Louis. All right, all right. Let me through. Stand back.
You, uh, okay, mister? Yeah, 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 I'm perfectly fine, officer. If you just help me into my car, I'll, I'll be even better. I've got to get to the airport. Oh, no, now, wait a minute, mister. Your head. You may have a concussion. No, 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 no. You better stay where you are. Now, let, let look, me help you. Look, officer, I'm sure that there's a doctor at the airport. Yeah. I can take care of it. Here, please just help me into my car, if you will. Oh, no, here comes the ambulance. Now, you better go to a no. hospital and have this thing no. taken care of. Now, look, officer, I can't go to the hospital. I've got to get to the airport. But, look, I must take off right away. I haven't time for the hospital. I must keep up with my schedule. Now, I must leave. But, Louis, Louis, tell them. Now, help me. I must get to the plane before it's too late. Look, call Stuart and tell him what's happened. If the ambulance is hell, the hospital is another lower level of it. As he furiously frightened fights to get out of there, he loses all of the characteristics, the qualities that had defined him and made his life worth living for him and for others. He becomes demanding, shouting, angry, abusive. Now, it's all in the service of trying to get back, get back to his life, his world, and get out of this parallel universe. But it's too late. He has left it forever. He is in this parallel where he's already being treated like he's old. And being treated that way is turning him into that person. Not that elderly people are are negative like that, but being treated like he's not king of the world is turning him into someone who's not. All of these reversals, this parallel structure where now he's with two guys who don't hang on his every word, it is changing him. Even if he can get back to the airport and get back on that plane, even if he was able to walk out of that hospital, how long would it take him to really recover that identity? But I tell you, I don't want to go to the hospital. Will you get your hands off me, officer? Look, I have got to get to that airport right now. Just let go of me. Now, take it easy, mister. You're getting hysterical. Take it easy. Take it easy. Look, will you just get your hands off me? Now, let go of me. Now, you'll be all right, mister. You'll be in the hospital in a minute. I have got to get to the airport. Now, let me out of here. Let go of me, I tell you. Once you get to the hospital, Look, you'll, be, you'll be okay. You let go of me. Let go of me. Hold him, somebody. Right. delirious. Bring this stretcher. He's being physically restrained. Oh, it's breaking him down, and it hurts at the beginning of this next clip where he is begging. His voice falters and seems, in quotes, old for the first time. Please, please let me out of here. And when the orderly brushes him off, then he reverts back to being you know, furious and abusive. And it's going to keep on with that ping-ponging until, you know, between old and angry until there's no angry left and he's just reduced. Again, we're not trying to say here that old age is a reduction to nothingness. In the terms of this story, we understand why it's what he fears. It's not general to the world. Very specific to this story of horror. Will you please let let me out of here? I've got to get out of here immediately. Don't you understand? You have no right to keep me here. You'll have to be quiet, sir. There are other patients here. Look, I don't give a hang who's here. I want to get out of here immediately. Now I must. In the next scene, we have a real, I think it's got to be deliberate, replay, reverse of his conversation with the new bartender where he wowed and won over the guy with his charm and his story and his power. 
Here, his failed attempt to convert the orderly. It's just a beautiful, beautiful structure of this story. And we know that if we're working our way back toward a repeat and a reverse of one of the first scenes in the story that we are heading toward its dreadful conclusion, we are very aware of that. And it just adds more emotion to this scene. More emotion we didn't really need or want. Hey, that's Mid-Century Horror Radio. All right, then hurry, hurry. Orderly, that fellow over there, keep your eye on him. Right. He may have a concussion. He's reacting yes. strangely. It's yes. Violent. Call me. All right. Yes, sir. All right. Now, get the mayor himself if you must. I've got to get out of here right away. I am desperate. Oh, Orderly. Sir. Orderly, come here, Mayor, will you? Yes, sir. Uh, Orderly, listen to me. I am Martin Dean. Now, perhaps you've heard of me. I own Dean Industries. Now, uh, listen to me. I know what I'm saying might sound absurd, but it is true. Now, you might have read about me in Newstime magazine. I fly from east to west faster than the sun. Now, now, just a minute, just a minute. I don't have time to explain it all, but I must leave. I must get on my plane. Now, time is precious to me. Do you understand? I have found a way to stay young, and I want to be young. I am not young, despite my appearance. I have to fight to stay this way. Do you understand what I am saying? I am fighting for time. Time to live. Time to to be alive. Will you listen to me? Please, please, just try and understand. Help me. Ah, the weakening of the voice again. Even when Stuart gets there, he can't do anything about it. Now... His association with this man does not give him power and authority, but weakens him as well. And the doctor writes him off as well, like, oh, you're crazy, this guy too? The whole shebang is coming apart. Now, I must get him out of here immediately, or don't you understand? Time will start catching up to him. Oh, not you too. That's what he's babbling about. Oh, God, I mean, at this point, we are almost longing to roll through the ending. It's just so painful, but the ending is extraordinary. Tremendous voice acting by the man playing Mr. Dean as his time runs out. You deeply feel his (sighs) frustration. It's not even the word for it. This is life and death. And he sees, the moment he sees that it's too late. Oh, never were the words, it's too late. Worse to hear. As he begins to age in front of their eyes, uh, his voice work is tremendous. And it's just not even that he becomes like an old person. You don't know what he is sinking into. Because in a way, the doctor at the end is right. He doesn't just grow old. His whole world and identity and being come apart. Maybe this explains why the doctors and everybody at the end of this seemingly do not see what has happened. It's so confusing that he ages before their eyes and the doctor says, ooh, he's had a mental breakdown. You don't see? (laughs) You don't see that this just happened? It could not be that the story is at this late moment 
trying to tell us somehow that he doesn't really physically age, that it was all a mindset and it was his fear of aging. No, you can't do that at this point. Just as we complain when someone gives us something very normal and non-supernatural, and then they try to say, ooh, was it supernatural? We also do not accept when something clearly set up as supernatural happens, and then the story itself is like, well, no, it it was really just inside his head. We know that it wasn't. The, the hole in the ending with the doctor at the end still cannot undo the amazing performance in this scene and its power. It is hard to listen to. Going to hit it one more time, and then we'll get out of here. Here you're told I have to take off from the airport in 15 minutes. 15 minutes, Doctor, 15! I'll never be able to make it, even if we walk out this instant, do you understand? And do you want me to sign papers, Doctor? Papers? What papers? This is my life that's slipping past. It's time! Time! Look at the time, you fool! Look at that time! It's too late! You've done it! Now, Mr. You've got too late! It's too late, I tell you! I ought to kill you! Maybe I can calm him. No, he wouldn't recognize you. 
His mind is snapped, poor fellow. The idea of growing old was too much for him. I doubt if he'll ever recover from his shock. Probably he'll never know who he is or where he is. Much less how old he is. Girl, I doubt if I will ever recover from just hearing the sounds he makes. Oh, God, at the very end there. Helpless, pleading, confused, angry, all at once. So, so horribly clear a representation of someone being stripped of their soul, basically. This is not about his mind. This was about his soul. Oh, you can only hope that his physical life ends that day. Unbelievable. You cannot even that dumb hole at the end of, yes, it was just his mind. The idea of aging frightened him. Can't ruin this. Theater 5, let the earth. Whew, this, you know, Theater 5 has such an ugly view of humanity, but they have given us some amazing episodes, and this is really one of them. Woo. <laughs> Thank God that's over. World Enough and Time. From Theater 5, it puts the friend back in front of me. Ooh, let's get that outro, and who cares how horn-splosive it is? Let them do what they want. Presented World Enough and Time, written by John Nicholas Ianuzzi and directed by Ted Bell. In the cast, Donald Buca, George Petrie, George Baxter, Jackie Grimes, and Frank Thomas. Audio engineer Neil Pulse. Sound technician Ed Blaney. Script editor Jack C. Wilson. Original music by Alexander Vlostopsenko. Orchestra under the direction of Glenn Osser. Executive producer for Theater 5, Edward A. Byron. We invite your comments. Write to Theater 5, New York 23, New York. Oh, if only we could write to Theater 5, we would send a note of appreciation to author John Nicholas Inucci and voice actor must be for Mr. Dean Donald Buca. Amazing work. Woo! Good all around. I mean, this is what we get around this cauldron to do. Nice to have this kind of an opportunity. Oh, my goodness. All right. Season seven. Rocking hard. <sighs> well, we know that you are fully ready to fly your hours backward. We just spend, at most, maybe an hour here at the cauldron, and then we have to immediately fly hard back into our everyday lives and worlds but then we'll always keep coming back to spend maybe one more bit of time here, and we will stay eternally young just as the cauldron stays eternally full. And that holds for San Antonio, Valparaiso, Omaha, West Lafayette, or New York City. 
until we get our next dose of sitting around the bar being our best selves, go your way this week. Be safe, be happy, and I'll see you soon.